the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. All right. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, uh, if I've never met you, my name is Jericho. I am one of our pastors here. And uh, before we jump into the message and jump into the study of Judges, let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and I do ask that you would speak in the only way that you could speak today, that you would move in the only way that you can move, or that you would open up our hearts, our minds to what you would like us to receive today as we continue to look at the story of Gideon. And so, Father, I pray uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be accepting in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. In your son Jesus' name, amen. So as the movie begins to play... The camera will start off at the mountaintop and will peer into the valley. And in the valley, you will see nothing but flickering flames. And the camera will begin to scroll down over the trees into the valley where we will pick up 30 separate campfires. Each campfire will have 10 men sitting in silence absolutely around it. The camera will start to take us into the camp and it will pass by every group of men around every single fire. And the only sound you will hear is the crackling of the flames on the wood. And it'll settle settle on the center campfire, his campfire. And it'll sit there and it'll zoom in on just him. You see, the way this movie should have started was the camera should have started at the mountaintop, peering into the valley, and it should have been one giant fire. It should have had a scene looking like Burning Man, a fire. It should have been 300 men having a gigantic party around this fire. There should have been laughter. There should have been celebration. There should have been a a feast. The drinks should have been flowing. It should have been a party, but not tonight. Tonight, the camera picks up a quiet camp. And it'll focus on just him. And he, for four hours, will sit in silence, looking at his sword and putting it away. Every time, pulling out the sword, shocked that there's not a drop of blood on his blade, confused on what's just happened. And after four hours of sitting in silence, he will finally ask the question, what just happened? Eight of the nine other guys around his fire will look at him. They won't say anything. Nobody has an explanation. Nobody has a word of what just happened, how they've gotten to this moment where they're all sitting around a fire and they're all hanging out in quiet and nobody has an answer for them. And so he will peer through the flames and he will look at the one head who hasn't picked it up from the ground for four hours and he will call him out, Gideon. And as Gideon raises his head, his eyes will meet the man's and the man will realize that for four hours, Gideon has had tears coming down his face. And he'll ask him again, Gideon, what just happened? And Gideon will take a second to compose himself. He'll clear his throat. He'll wipe the tears from his eyes and he will look at the man and say, God, By now, other men from other fires have started to gather around their camp. And they've come over, and now they've jumped in. What do you mean, God? What do you mean? How are we going to explain this? What are we going to tell the people? What are we going to tell our families? In 100 years, when I'm sitting with my grandkids and my great-grandkids around the fire, and they ask me, tell me the story of Gideon. Tell me the story where you guys won the battle. Tell me when you defeated the Midianites. They're not going to believe what I tell them. What are we going to say? 
And so Gideon will then invite all 300 men, come to his fire. He will tell them, grab a rock, grab a log, have a seat. I will begin to explain everything that has happened for the last few days, for the last few weeks. Let me tell you what God has done leading up to tonight. And today I want to invite you, pull up a a rock, grab a log for your family, have a seat around the fire as we look at what God has been doing in Gideon's life. And what we'll learn today, I think, is what we need to do when we need victory. If you have your Bibles, open up to Judges chapter 6, verse 36. <laughs> if you've missed the past few weeks, um, sorry, that, that, that Hannah, that you're losing your voice and that little scream was great. Um, sorry, she had this like squeak. Um, so if you've missed the last few weeks, uh, we've been going through the book of Judges and the book of Judges has this overarching kind of theme that happens in the book. It starts off with, uh, you know, things are, are well or whatever. And then, and then it says that the, the people of, of God turned their back on God. And then we th- see things start to go bad. They look for repentance. They, crawl, they cry out to God. God sends a judge. He kind of delivers them. And then they do it all over again. And it's kind of the cycle that happens in humanity, right? You look at the story of creation. Everything's perfect. We get Genesis 3. We get the fall. Everything goes bad. We get repentance. God save us. God does it, things are good, and then it just kind of keeps happening. That's kind of the cycle that humanity has been playing from the beginning of time since Genesis 3 on with God. And so we're going to look at, man, what what does it look like when we need victory in life? What does it look like when we need victory? And and how does that look like in the Christian walk? And what what, what do we see in the life of Gideon that shows us what it looks like to have victory? And here's the first thing, is we must be desperate to hear God's voice. Verse 36 It says, then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me just test once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece and only on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground there was dew. And so when I first started reading this passage, I was like, man, Gideon seems like he has no faith. Gideon seems like he's like really trying to test God. You know, like the way sometimes we do. Like a, a God, I want a sign, right? Put a billboard on the side of the highway to let me know what I'm supposed to do. I'm like, Gideon's looking for a sign. But the more I read, the more I studied, the more I just sat with the text, I don't think that's what Gideon is doing. I don't think Gideon has lack of faith. I think Gideon is in a nation of people that have no believers. I think Gideon is in a nation of people that are worshiping all these other false gods. And so he is saying, God, I want to make sure it's you. It's the God of my fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God who spoke and the world is created. You're the God who breathed and life happened in mankind. You are that God. And so if that is you, that you can do this, I want to make sure it's you. I'm desperate to hear from you. I think he is begging God, give me a deeper revelation of you, that this is your voice, that this is you speaking to me. This isn't just some, some crazy thing happening. This isn't some bad pizza I had last night that's kind of just giving me some funky dreams. Like, this is you. And I think, because when, when he says it the second time, don't get mad at me. Don't, don't be mad at me. Don't get angry with me. Let, 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 let me just test you one more time. Let me just ask you one more time. I think if this was kind of a lack of faith, I think if this was some kind of disobedience with, with Gideon, I think God would have maybe punished him. There would have been some rebuke or something, but that's not what he does. 
God simply just responds both times. See, I believe Gideon was desperate to hear from God and God was faithful. See, I think oftentimes when we ask God for these giant signs, hey, God, give me a sign like a billboard or give me the burning bush like Moses or let me lay a fleece out on the ground and do what you did for Gideon. God, give me these miracle signs. But we have an advantage over Gideon. In the day and time of period of history that we live, we have an advantage over him. Gideon doesn't have the Bible like we do. Not even just a, like a physical Bible, but like he doesn't have it on an Apple phone or, or iPad. He can't just click play and it just read it to him while he makes breakfast. Like he has no scripture. He doesn't have the word of God. He doesn't have a, a, a Christian fellowship the way we do. He doesn't have that. He's in a nation of nothing but people that are idol worshipers, nothing but uh, people that are, that, are, that are doing their own thing, that they've made themselves their own God. He doesn't have a baptism the way we celebrate it. He doesn't have the Lord's Supper or the elements when we take a, 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 to remember the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He doesn't take bread and remember Jesus' body that was broken for him or a cup of wine and remember Jesus' blood that was shed for him. That hasn't happened yet. He doesn't have all these things that we have. And yet we find Gideon is desperate to hear from God. You see, if I am desperate to hear from God, then this is less about God, give me a sign. And it's more of God, reveal yourself to me. Make yourself more real. Reveal your, your true to me. Reveal yourself, your power, your strength, your truth. Expose it to me. See, we have this advantage over Gideon. because really when we ask God, man, reveal yourself more to us, he points us to his son, Jesus. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so, yeah, there, there were signs like this with Gideon, and there was these, this burning bush with Moses, and God would speak to the people through the prophets. But now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. See, when we are desperate for, God's, for, for a greater revelation for God, when we are desperate, God responds to us with grace. He responds graciously by pointing us to his son, Jesus. He goes, man, you want to know a deeper revelation of me? You want to know about me more? You want to have a deeper connection and relationship with me? You want to know me? Open the Bible. I have laid out my character to you. And it is all a full, it comes in full revelation when my son comes. You can read the words that he spoke. You can learn about the life that he lived and how it has changed history from Genesis through Revelation. From the beginning to the end, it has all been about and pointed to Jesus. And God in his grace goes, look at my son, Jesus. See, it's not God, I'm desperate for a sign or I'm desperate for, for something big in life. No, God, I'm desperate for you every single day. I'm desperate for you every hour. You see, Gideon had... God, the Father, we have God, the Father, God, the Son, Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. We have the living God that lives inside of us. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you've accepted him into your life. See, when we need victory, we must be willing to do it God's way. And so this, we have a whole chapter to cover today. We have a lot. So I'm going to paraphrase this one for time's sake, but it's pretty cool. All right. It's like the first eight verses of chapter seven. So, so Gideon goes, all right, God, you're calling me and you're going to uh, give the Midianites into my hand and, and I'm going to get this army. And so he calls these men and Gideon gets 32,000 guys. The Midianites have 135,000 soldiers. Gideon gets 35,000. 
At best, that's four to one odds. Four to one odds. And my bet is, is he doesn't have a lot of great soldiers. Like they've been beaten up for a while now. I don't think they're great fighters. And so he's at four to one odds and God goes, hey buddy, that's too many. And God says, it's too many because your people will boast and think they did it. They'll, they'll have pride and they'll brag about themselves. And so, he, so Gideon has to ask 35,000 people a simple question. Hey, before we go into battle, if you're scared, go home. 22,000 are like, yeah, see ya. <laughs> 22,000, like what? Like that's a terrible question to ask somebody in war, right? Hey, if you're scared, go home. Like some of you guys served in the military. My bet is they never asked you. Right? So he loses 22,000. So now he's down to 10,000. Now the odds are 13 and a half to one. 13 and a half. And God goes, still too many. So now God says, okay, take them down to the water. Have them take a drink. They're going to drink two different ways. Some of them will pick the water up and drink out of it. Others are going to drink like a dog, you know, just kind of lick it up. And you're going to split those into two groups. And the ones that lick like a dog go this way and the other ones go this way. And it breaks off into 9,700 go this way and 300 go that way. And Gideon starts walking to the 9,700, like, all right, these are my guys. And Gideon, God's like, no, 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 300. Those are your dudes. You're going to go into war against 135,000 guys, and you're going to take in 300. You are now at 450 to one odds here. Nobody makes that bet. There's no military book ever written on military strategy that says, hey, shorten your army. Get less people. Nobody does this. And yet this is, this is God's way. We see that God brings a victory here. You see, it's really what we see in the principle of salvation. When Jesus comes riding into the city and everybody is chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now, bring your kingdom now. Jesus brings victory, but not the way the people wanted. He goes to the cross. This isn't how Gideon would have planned his victory. And yet we see that God brings victory this way. You see, at the end of this, we will find out that Gideon's army ends up winning. And their only explanation is what Gideon said around that campfire, God. It's the only answer they got. God's victories defy the world's logic. If you look at the, the, the story of Gideon, Gideon is a weak man from the weakest tribe. Like, you know how weak you gotta be to be defined as the weak man in the weak tribe? That's Gideon. And he's the guy's like, I'm gonna use you and 300 other weak guys and you're gonna go win. See, it's not through our strength, our greatness that we receive salvation. It's not through something that we have done. It is through the accomplished work, the greatest victory in all of history that Jesus did at the cross. You see, when we want victory, we must take a step in faith. So this is, gonna, this is, this is kind of crazy. We're gonna read this one. Verse nine says, that same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp for I've given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the East lay along the valley like locusts in abundance and their camels were without number as a sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. 
As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, put trumpets in the hands of all, the, all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets, also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord, for, for the Lord and for Gideon. So we get this, this God has reassured Gideon, right? He, he's reassured him uh, with the fleece that, hey man, listen, I, I'm calling you. I'm gonna do this. He's reassured Gideon. And then we see God shrink Gideon's army down. So then Gideon's probably like, okay, I'm, I'm not so sure anymore, God. Like, are you still? And then so God's like, okay, now I need you to do something. I need you to take a step of faith here. I need you to take your servant Pura and go down to camp. So already you're 135,000 to 300, 450 to one odds. Now I just want you and one other dude to go down to the camp. Two against 135,000. Good luck. And so Gideon has to tell his servant, Pura, like, hey, I need you to come do something with me. And I wonder how that conversation went. Pura's gotta be like, come on. Like, we're down to 300 here. Like, you, come on. Just me and you? I'm for sure, can I get a steak first? It's gonna be my last meal. Can I get something? Like, you're walking me to my execution. And so we see that God calls Gideon, man, hey, take a step of faith. And it's in that step of faith that God gives the dream and the interpretation of the dream where Gideon goes, man, he says that right after that, he heard the interpretation he worshiped, where Gideon goes, wow, my step of faith of coming down here, I am assured I know God is with me. You see, faith always involves risk. Faith always involves risk. John Wimber says, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Having faith in God's victory involves risk. For those of you that don't believe in Jesus, that you, you don't have faith in him, I promise you, you have put your faith somewhere. You have put your faith either yourself, your job, your family, country, government, whatever. You have put your faith in something. Understand, though, you are risking eternity by putting your faith in anything but Jesus. For those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, following him always involves risk. It may be the risk of being alienated by our friends or our family or having to give up control over the things we want to do or the things that, that we like to be in control of, kind of like what Mia talked about with our finances, something that we have to let loose of. Or maybe it's stepping out in faith in what God has called you to do, the way Gideon is stepping out in faith in what God has called him to do. Maybe there's a step of faith that you have to do. I guarantee you when Pastor Dave and Claire planted Life Church and God started to put it on their heart when they were still living in Colorado to come to Reno to plant Life Church, I promise you that was a step of faith. I promise that was terrifying. I guarantee that was risky. Living in Colorado, uprooting your family, moving to Reno where you don't have family and friends and you're gonna go plant a church. You see, the Christian walk is paved by risky obedience. God often gives us what we need as we do what he has asked us to do. Tim Keller says this, we can find that we lack assurance of God's presence with us and power for us because we never take a risk and do something bold in obedience to him. We never step out in faith and find him there. You see, how can we have a victory? We pray about victory. We need a victory in a certain area of life, but we'll never take a step of faith to find that God is faithful back to us. We're never willing to, 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 to risk anything for him. We may say we want to know him more deeply and intimately, yet we won't take a step of obedience that gives him the opportunity to reveal himself more to us. 
It is through risk that our faith grows. Here's our last point. When we have heard from God, when we've been obedient, when we've taken a step of faith, we must recognize he is the one who brings victory. This is still like one of the craziest war stories I've ever, this is. So Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. This is kind of like midnight time. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torches and in the right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shitta towards, that's in the Bible, that's not me. <laughs> towards Zerara, as far as the border of Abel Mahola by Tabith. And the men of Israel called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them, as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. They captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian. And they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. And so Gideon has this brilliant military strategy, right? He's only down to 300 men, but he's got this genius strategy. He breaks them off into three different groups. Each man in his left hand will carry a torch with a jar on top to cover the flame. And his right hand will have a trumpet. Here's the genius part of it. In those days, the way military strategy would work, each company could be up to about 1,000 men. The commander in the company would have a torch and a trumpet. That one represented a thousand. And so what happens is, is they surround the camp, they break their torches, they blow their trumpets, and they shout a, Lord for the, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And the Midianite army wakes up in the midst of this, and when they see 300 lamps and hear 300 trumpets, they think they're surrounded by 300,000 men. And they go in a panic, and then the, the and then it says, the Lord set every man against himself or against his comrade. And so they start killing each other. Notice what happens, the miracle in this. If you have a torch in this hand and a trumpet in this hand, you ain't got a third hand to pull your sword. They don't even fight. They do nothing. They are not in the battle at all. They are around it watching and they're just watching these men kill each other. So much in a panic that they all flee, that they all take off. God does this miracle. Notice that God doesn't need Gideon or his army. They don't, they don't kill anybody. They don't, he doesn't need them. And yet it's, it's, it, this is how he brings his victory. Remember at the beginning of this chapter that God talked about, he said, I'm, I, there's too many of you that they will boast and they will brag. So God goes, I'm going to do everything to make sure that they know it's me. I'm going to let my people know that I am with them, that I am God, I am delivering them. And so what does he do? Torch, trumpet, and they watch a victory happen to the point that the only explanation they got is God. You see, God may not need us to accomplish his work, but he does use us to accomplish it. 
and in accomplishing his work is it's all to bring him glory. He invites us into his plan and into his work. It is not so we can boast or brag about what we have done, but to give honor and glory to him, to who he is and what he has done. Jesus' accomplished work at the cross invites us into the kingdom. It is through his blood sacrifice for our sins, the ultimate victory over sin and death, that we are invited and adopted as sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. Some of us here, we've put our faith in Jesus. One day we'll experience that ultimate victory when we're joined with him in heaven. We will experience the ultimate victory as we are adopted sons and daughters and joint heirs with Jesus into the kingdom of God. And some of us here have made that decision. And we still need victory in other areas, whether it be addictions, uh, idolatry, or anger, or bitterness. We still need victories in other areas of life. But when we sit around a campfire and people ask, what happened? We'll have a very simple answer, just like Gideon, Jesus. But there's other, there are other of us who we don't have an answer to that question. We don't know the ultimate victory of Jesus. We may have heard it a lot. We may have a head knowledge of it, but there's nothing about our heart that is surrendered to God. We have not experienced the ultimate victory that Jesus accomplished at that cross. If you don't get anything from today, just get this. Nothing you can accomplish in this life, nothing you can ever do will ever compare to the victory that Jesus accomplished at the cross for you for you. This wasn't just a, let me die for mankind. He had you on his mind when he went to the cross. Maybe today for you is that step of faith. Maybe for you, that step of faith is the first step ever for you to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. See, I don't believe anybody here is, by, is here by accident. I don't think that's just by somebody invited me and so I showed up. I don't think you just happened to stumble in here. I think God knew you would be here today. I think God knew you would hear about this kind of crazy war story where there wasn't even like an actual war, that these guys blew trumpets and, and had torches and somehow they won, that you would hear this crazy victory that God did and how it's really just a foreshadowing of the amazing victory that Jesus did at the cross when everyone screams, bring your kingdom now, save us now, Hosanna, and everybody has their own way they want to do it, and their own way to get salvation, and their own way, and Jesus goes, no, let me do it my way. And maybe for you, your whole life, you've been trying to do it your way. And this is a time for you to do it his. Today, I'm going to give you that opportunity. The Bible says, man, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. And so today I'm going to give you that opportunity if you would like to. And it's not really um, about the words. It's really about your heart and what, what God is doing in your heart. So at the, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. If that's you today, if you want to make that decision to follow Jesus, to make him Lord over your life, that you want to experience the ultimate victory that comes with him, you could pray something like this. You could do it out loud or just quietly in your heart. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. But I believe that your son died for me and that his blood covers my sins and that he rose again three days later, defeating sin in the grave and having the ultimate victory in life. So God, I ask that you would come and live inside of me in the person of your Holy Spirit.
that you would take control, that you would, and that you would just have your way in my life. In other words, there would be obedience. Father, I thank you for the gift of your son, something I don't deserve and couldn't earn. What amazing grace that is. Hey, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you made that prayer today and you made it for the first time, you really meant it for the first time, I'm just gonna ask that you open your eyes, you raise your hand and look at me. If there's anybody in here, I just wanna pray for you. If there's anybody in here, and if you're online, you can click the prayer icon there and somebody on our team would love to pray with you. So if you just raise your hand so I can see you. Awesome, I see you there. See you over there. Father, you see the hands, but more so importantly, you see the hearts. For those here in the building and for those of us online. Father, we thank you for that. We celebrate that. And Lord, we uh, do ask that for those of us that have already made that decision, Lord, that we would desperately seek to hear your voice every single day. Lord, that we would uh, do it your way and not ours. That we take a step of faith and then in our victories, we would worship the way Gideon worshiped you. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, for those of you that made that decision today and those of you online, if you can do us a favor, if you go to lifechurchreno.com, you could scroll down to the bottom of the page. On the right-hand side, there's a little link that says New Believers. There's a ton of information there for you on what it looks like to take a next step and what, um, what it looks like to kind of walk this life out. On that page, you also see that you can click there that says, I decided to follow Jesus. And I uh, just want to let you know, man, we are stoked, excited. Welcome to the family. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.